What is going on, Cover 7 family? Welcome back to another episode here on the Cover 7 with Mason Pierce podcast. And guys, in today's episode, we're going to be recapping all of the college football action from this past week six of the 2022 college football season. And guys, what a weekend it was. We had the Red River rivalry down in Dallas, Texas. That was definitely a pretty fun game to watch. We had Alabama taking on Texas A&M. We also had Kansas and TCU on college game day. So there's a lot of action for us to re uh for all of us just to recap and talk about and discuss and you know definitely I'm gonna take definitely gonna give y'all some takeaways from this past week six but before we do start talking about all the action from week six I do want to first talk to y'all a little bit about anchor.fm's monthly supporter program so it's pretty much like pretty much like subscribing to your favorite twitch streamer youtuber you know wherever you can get a subscription that's it's pretty much the same exact thing it's only $4.99 a month but it allows me to better the quality of the podcast eventually give members some exclusive perks and so much more that will ultimately end up benefiting y'all beautiful people that do check in it's not recommended it's not required or anything like that but i definitely want to make sure that y'all at least have heard of it so but anyway guys like well like i like i always say here on the cover seven with mason pierce podcast I do not want to waste any of y'all's time, so let's get right into all of the college football action from week six. And luckily for us, well, not luckily, but luckily for us at the same time, unfortunately, due to Hurricane Ian over the past week, we did have one game get rescheduled to Wednesday, October the 5th. So all of our action actually kicked off a few days early, and that actually was on Wednesday as we had the SMU Mustangs traveling down to Orlando to take on the UCF Knights in the bounce house now. This game, the biggest thing about this game was it was going to be an offensive shootout. Like that, everybody knew immediately. Both teams had some of the best offenses in the country. SMU with Tanner Mordecai and then star wide receiver Rasheed Rice, who leads all of college football in receiving yards. It was going to be a tell of who will have the better offensive production. And man, was this game one-sided from the beginning. John Rice Plumley, the former Ole Miss quarterback slash wide receiver, he finally had a kind of his breakout game this season as he's definitely struggled early on but finally he was able to get things going as he would go 20 for 29 316 yards passing and two two passing touchdowns on the day and truly the main offensive weapon for the Knights in this game had to have been former Alabama and Kentucky wide receiver Javon Baker as he had an amazing game as he would have six receptions for 138 yards receiving. Didn't get any touchdowns, but also on the flip side, Javon's teammate Ryan O'Keefe, he had himself an amazing day as well as he had six receptions for 117 yards receiving and two, D and two TDs on the day. Now on the flip side for the SMU Mustangs, it was just overall a very rough day for Tanner Mordecai who these past few weeks you know ever since the TCU game and the, you know even the Maryland game he's definitely been struggling a lot as he would go 28 for 45 295 yards passing with zero touchdowns and one interception Preston Stone the uh I think he's a redshirt freshman but he was kind of the star quarterback that SMU fans were really excited about he would get some action in this game as well as he'd go five for nine for 68 yards passing now of course, Rasheed Rice, the star wide receiver for the Mustangs, he would pretty much be the sole offense that they would have in this game as he would have 12 receptions for 122 yards receiving but with no touchdowns. And on the day, just very disappointing performance by SMU. Their defense was horrendous against the offense of UCF as they literally made John Rice Plumley look like a Heisman candidate. But UCF would ultimately end up getting the win over SMU. 41 to 19 is now UCF. They improve on the season to 4 and 1 and SMU now falls to 2 and 3 after what was supposed to be a pretty solid season overall and obviously a new regime under coach uh coach Lashley. Now anyways y'all, that was the only game that we had on Wednesday and unfortunately this weekend we did not have any games on Thursday, but we did have a decent amount of games on Friday and the first Friday game that I want to talk about is going to be the Nebraska Corn Huskers traveling to New Jersey to take on the Rutgers Scarlet Knights. And, you know, going into this game for Nebraska, they finally were getting some momentum after a very disappointing start to the season. You know, they finally got their first Big Ten win over Indiana last week. And then for Rutgers, you know, they got blown out by Ohio State last week, which a lot of people could have probably told you was going to happen. So going into this game, I would say it was pretty evenly matched. And, you know, well, I did forget one thing that this was a Big Ten matchup. So offense was non-existent in this game as both sides would only put up barely more than 10 points each. 
as Nebraska starting quarterback and former Texas quarterback Casey Thompson. He would go 24 for 36, 232 yards passing with two touchdowns and two interceptions on the day. So overall, not his best game, but at the end of the day, you know, definitely got the job done when it did matter the most in the second half. And then on the you know opposite side for Rutgers, they actually had two quarterbacks in this game and. You know, quarterback Evans, uh, Evan Simon, he definitely did not have a great game at all today as he would go 6 for 15, 100 yards passing, zero touchdowns, and three interceptions on the day. So Rutgers just offensively after the first quarter, they were not able to get anything done as they would only score three points for the next three quarters of the game. And Nebraska, they were actually shut out in the first half as they would trail Rutgers at halftime. 13 to 0, but Casey Thompson and the offense for Nebraska would slowly start to pick things up and, you know, right at the end Nebraska would be able to come in clutch despite Rutgers, you know, kind of having their own little comeback attempt and, you know, Nebraska almost handed Rutgers the game because Casey Thompson when they were in uh um, you know, win formation, he almost fumbled the snap, so it almost went Rutgers' way, but ultimately Nebraska would hold on as they would go on to beat Rutgers. 14 to 13 is now Nebraska improves to three and three as they now have two straight Big Ten wins for the first time in what I think has been four years or so. And then Rutgers they now fall to three and three. Now guys, we're gonna travel over to Memphis for our final game that I want to talk talk about on Friday slate of games as we'd have the Houston Cougars traveling to Memphis, Tennessee to take on the Tennessee Tigers and man. Did this game get really interesting in the second half because, you know, going into the fourth quarter, it looked like Memphis was going to absolutely run away with this game as they led Houston um, 20-7. But Houston offensively would have an amazing, and I mean an amazing fourth quarter as they would put up 26 points. And, you know, all Houston had to do was they trailed, I think it was, I want to say 26-32. to All Houston had to do was kick an onside kick and, you know, they would, you know, if they didn't get it, then Memphis would win the game. And, you know, Memphis actually had a 99% win chance going into that play. And get, you'll never guess what happened. Houston recovered the onside kick, and they would go down the field and score the game-winning touchdown. And in this game, you know, offensively, there was a lot of struggles. But overall, Clayton Toon, the starting quarterback for Houston, he would get the job done as he would go 36 for 57, 366 yards passing with three touchdowns and one interception. And then on the flip side for Memphis, their starting quarterback, Seth Hennigan, definitely not his best game of the season, but overall not a horrible performance as he would go 21 for 32, 241 yards passing with one touchdown and zero interceptions on the day. And, you know, really one of the big offensive producers in this game for uh, the Houston Cougars would be their wide receiver Seth Brown, as he would have nine receptions for 116 or 116 yards, which ultimately would definitely help them in their win over Memphis. As Houston would go on to beat the Tigers of Memphis, 33 to 32. As Houston, they finally get back in the win column and they improve to three and three. And Memphis, they now fall to four and two as they are handed their second loss of the season. Now, guys. That is it for the Friday slate of games. There really wasn't too much going on, mostly just Nebraska, Rutgers, and then Houston and Memphis. So now let's go over to Saturday, which is obviously our main day of games. And the first game that I'm going to want to talk about on this Saturday slate of games is going to be the Red River rivalry as we had the Texas Longhorns taking on the Oklahoma Sooners. Now for Texas, they're coming off a very dominant win against um against West Virginia last weekend down in Austin you know they got Quinn Ewers back in this game and then on the flip side for Oklahoma you know they had an embarrassing loss in Fort Worth against TCU they lost by double digits and I mean I mean it was just a horrible performance offensively Dylan Gabriel would be out of the game with a concussion so there were a lot of question marks going into this game for the Sooners and most notably especially their defense because of just how bad they got run over by TCU's offense and you know, the worst part about it was, too, is the fact that their defense probably got even worse in this game because going up against Quinn Ewers, his first game back since that injury in Week 2 against Alabama, he was lights out. I'm talking Heisman-worthy type good as he would go 21 for 31, 289 yards passing with four touchdowns and one interception on the day. I mean, Quinn Ewers looked absolutely fantastic and truly lived up to that five-star hype that he got out of South Lake Carroll in high school. And, I mean, just Texas was clicking on all cylinders, and it's something we hadn't seen, you know, since week two, you know, when they played Bama. And, honestly, 
I mean, just Quinn Ewers really showed that if he didn't never if he never got injured, I mean, Texas honestly would probably be six and zero right now. And you know, it also did help him the fact too that his star running back Bijan Robinson, he also would. I mean, he eight against his OU uh, defense as he would have 22 carries for 130 yards rushing and two touchdowns on the day. And man, did Texas just dominate this entire, and I mean just this entire game, as they would also put up two interceptions against OU, which one of them was very interesting because Eric Gray, the former Tennessee running back, now OU running back, he was in the Wildcat, and he threw a weird lob pass right into the middle of the field, and then it would get picked off by a Texas defender. So just... Really questionable play calling, too, for OU. And, I mean, in this game, OU starting quarterback, uh, Beevil, or however, however the heck you say his last name, he would go 6 for 12, 38 yards throwing with zero touchdowns and one interception. So, on the day, Oklahoma, 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 they only had 39 yards passing on the day with no touchdowns. And, you know, it really was just a rough day. Like, I mean, a very rough day. As even Marvin Mims, the star wide receiver for the Sooners, he had negative two yards receiving on the day. And ultimately, just Oklahoma would get run over by UT in the Red River Showdown as Texas would go on to blow out and shut out the Oklahoma Sooners 49-0. As Texas will probably re-enter the top 25 and, you know, rightfully should re-enter the top 25 after this weekend is over with an OU you know, they're left scratching their head, and next week when they do return back to Norman, they're going to take on a Kansas team who just had an amazing game against TCU, which we're about to talk about next. But, man, you know, what has gone wrong in Oklahoma? Is Brent Venables a problem? Are the players the problem? I mean, just something right now up in OU is just just something is so wrong because that defense just cannot get it going. And that was a main reason why they went out and got Brent Venables too, despite his connections to OU was the fact that he is a defensive-minded, you know, coach. So, unfortunately, OU, they now drop three straight for the first time since 2014. And right now, it's just a really rough time to be an Oklahoma Sooner fan. But if you are a Texas Longhorn fan, there's plenty to be excited about as y'all now have Quinn Ewers back. And, man, is he looking like a Heisman candidate right now, especially in this Red River game. But anyway, guys, we're going to travel over to Lawrence, Kansas now as we had the 17th-ranked TCU uh, Horn Frogs taking on the 19th-ranked Kansas Jayhawks. And, man, was this an all-time classic game. I mean, just Kansas, and I will give them this, they had so much grit and determination despite losing their Heisman candidate quarterback, uh, like Jalen yeah, Daniels, early in the game due to a shoulder injury. You know, former starting quarterback Jason Bean, he came in the game and absolutely put on a show for the Jayhawks as he would go 16 for 24, 262 yards passing with four touchdowns and one interception. And ultimately, that one interception would be super costly for the Jayhawks at the end of the game. But, you know, for a kid that really, you know, just never really had a major opportunity, he got it. You know, he was the starting quarterback for periods last year for KU, but just never really showed out. He really showed a lot of heart and determination. So I do want to show, you know, shout out Jason Bean, who probably never expected to play in this game. So amazing performance by him. And then, you know, also I've got to talk a little bit about Max Duggan, the superstar quarterback for the TCU Horn Frogs, as he had himself another fantastic game through the air and also on the ground. As he now in the passing wise, Max would go 23 for 33. 308 yards passing with three touchdowns and one interception. Max would also have nine carries for 55 yards rushing and one touchdown. And also, I do have to give a lot of credit to Kendra Miller, the star running back for the TCU Horn Frogs, who arguably is one of the top running backs in all the nation. It statistically has not been his best game all year, but man, did he come in clutch when the Horn Frogs needed him as he would have 18 carries for 88 yards rushing and one touchdown on the day. And, you know, the big, and I mean the big performer in this game that we've got to talk about has got to be TCU wide receiver Quentin Johnston. Quentin Johnston, who's arguably going to be a first-round pick in the 2023 NFL Draft, he finally had his breakout game in the 2022 season as he would have 14 receptions for 206 yards receiving and one touchdown on the day, which would be the game-winning touchdown for the TCU Horn Frogs. I mean, just overall, Quentin really helped carry this TCU offense, you know, especially when the defense had a lot of struggles in the second half against that Kansas offense. And, you know, definitely there needs to be credit for Kansas because, man, they are still a top 25 team despite losing this game. I think Kansas, if anything, if they do drop in rankings, they should at least drop probably to like 23 to 25. They should not be taken out because, man, next week, 
I honestly think Kansas will go into Norman and absolutely blow out the Oklahoma Sooners. And, you know, honestly, nothing for Kansas to hold their heads on. This was an amazing game played by both sides offensively. TCU, there's a lot of things they need to, you know, fix. But, you know, despite a lot of the early struggles they had on offense in the first half, they would come out in the second half firing on all cylinders. And ultimately, TCU would take the win in this game over the Kansas Jayhawks, who were unbeaten. But, unfortunately, they now are handed their first loss of the year. But TCU would go on to beat Kansas 38-31 to as Kansas, they now fall to 5-1. and And TCU, they now improve to 5-0 and on the season as they take on a top-10 team in Oklahoma State next week. Now, guys, we're going to travel down to Baton Rouge, Louisiana. So we're going to go back down to the south for at least these next couple games. And we're going to talk about Hendon Hooker in the 8th-ranked Tennessee Volunteers taking on the 25th-ranked LSU Tigers. And, man, do I think Tennessee, I think it's about time they get a lot of credit for how explosive this offense is. Hendon Hooker, their Heisman hopeful quarterback, he had an amazing game today as he would go 17 for 27, 239 yards passing with two touchdowns and zero interceptions on the day. And, man, did he look honestly like he could potentially be a Heisman favorite after this game. Uh, Brew McCoy, the former five-star athlete who originally committed to USC, transferred to Texas, went back to USC, and then just transferred to Tennessee in the offseason. Excuse me, guys. He had a very solid game today as he led the Volunteers in receiving with seven receptions for 140 yards receiving. And, man, just did Tennessee pretty much have this game the whole entire time. Uh, Jaden Daniels, the quarterback for LSU, he had a very, honestly, not a bad game despite not really getting a lot of help from his O-line or a lot of his receivers and other playmakers as he would go 32 for 45 on the day, 300 yards passing with one touchdown and one interception. And that was really it for offensive-wise. I mean, Jaden Daniels was really their only type of outlet for offense. The defense had a lot of struggles against the air raid of Tennessee. Josh Heupel right now is doing wonders for the Volunteers, and it showed definitely in this game as Tennessee stomped into Death Valley and upset, not upset, but they ended up defeating the LSU Tigers by a score of 40-13. to As Tennessee, they now remain undefeated at 5-0, and and LSU, they now fall to 4-2. and And despite the record looking pretty good, it's going to be scary when LSU starts playing schools like um, – like Alabama, A&M, I mean, it's going to be bad because once they finally get exposed, especially on defense-wise, oh, man. So, so if Bryce Young does somehow make it back for the LSU game, which I think is next week, man, is it going to be a rough one for the Tigers and Brian Kelly. But anyway, Tennessee, they would secure the victory in this game. And they honestly, at this point, I think they need to be ranked top five just solely due to the fact that Hendon Hooker and this offense, they're connecting and firing on all cylinders. And, you know, like I said a little bit earlier, we are going to stay in the South. As for the next game we're going to cover in the uh, noon slate of games, we have the Arkansas Razorbacks traveling to Starkville, Mississippi to take on the 23rd ranked Mississippi State Bulldogs. And, man... Oh, did Will Rogers have a day against this Arkansas defense? As on the day, Will Rogers would go 31 for 48, 395 yards passing with three touchdowns and no interceptions. Mississippi State just continued to click on offense. And, I mean, it really showed in this game. Arkansas's defense, you know, which we thought were going to be a strong suit for them going into this year, they just looked horrendous against Mississippi State. Arkansas offensively were never really able to get anything going. You know, K.J. Jefferson was out with an injury, so they had to get uh, backup quarterback Malik Malik Hornsby, who was a four-star coming out of high school but has played a lot more wide receiver at his time in Arkansas. He would only go 8 for 17, 234 yards passing with one touchdown and two interceptions on the day. But he would mostly get a lot of his yardage in the run game as he would have eight carries for 114 yards receiving. Um, Jaden Hazelwood, the former Oklahoma wide receiver who's now at Arkansas, he had a pretty solid day and would lead the Razorbacks in receiving yards as he would have three receptions for 113 yards receiving. But ultimately, it would be the fact that Will Rogers was able to spread the ball among all of the different wide receivers that he had in this game, tight ends, wide receivers, everybody that he was able to connect with. And, ult- and ultimately, Mississippi State, you know, they're starting to actually gain some traction and they would ultimately go on to beat the Arkansas Razorbacks 40-17 to as Arkansas, they now fall to 3-3 three and three on the year, which a lot of people didn't expect, myself included, and another thing that a lot of people didn't expect, Mississippi State to be 5-1 and one and are probably going to end up jumping at least into the top 20. So, great game for the Bulldogs. They just look to continue their dominance next week. But um, anyway, guys, the next game that we're going to talk about 
as we do head up north is going to be the fourth ranked Michigan Wolverines traveling to Bloomington, Indiana to take on the Indiana Hoosiers in Indiana in Indiana who's kind of having a bounce back year especially after the horrific season that was last year when they would go 2 and 10 you know they were starting to definitely you know kind of gain some momentum so to speak and in this game especially Indiana kind of held their weight through the first half and a little bit into the second as going into halftime the game was actually tied 10 to 10 and it really did look like Indiana could potentially pull off the upset against the Wolverines but in the fourth quarter Michigan would start to connect completely Blake Corm the Heisman hopeful running back for the Wolverines he would have an absolute amazing day again as he would have yet another 100 yard rushing day as he would have 25 carries for 124 yards rushing and one touchdown on the day as well and then also the quarterback phenom that I know a lot of Michigan fans were really happy to see start this season J.J. McCarthy he would go 28 for 36 304 yards passing with three touchdowns and one interception on the day and ultimately it would be the Michigan offense that would really carry them in this game their defense was also very solid as well but ultimately Michigan would get the best of Indiana in the fourth quarter as they would go on to beat the Hoosiers 31 to 10 is now Michigan they remain undefeated and win by a score of 5 to 0 in Indiana they now fall to 3 and 2 on the season and now for the next game on our afternoon slate, we're going to stay in the Big Ten as we had the Purdue Boilermakers fresh off an upset win over Minnesota last week, traveling to Maryland to take on the Maryland Terrapins, who actually have been having a pretty solid season of their own so far. And honestly, in this game, you know, both offenses were really clicking. As for T uh, Talia Tagovailoa, you know, despite one interception, he had a pretty decent day. Pretty, pretty decent day, my bad, guys. As he would go 26 for 38, 315 yards passing with three touchdowns and one interception on the day. Um, Aiden O'Connell for uh, Purdue, he also had a very, very good day as well. Probably one of his best games of the season so far. As he would go 30 for 41, 360 yards passing with two touchdowns and one interception in this game. And ultimately, it would be the late touchdown in the game by Purdue that would ultimately give them the win over Maryland as Purdue would go on to beat the Terrapins 31 to 29 as Purdue. They now improved to 4 and 2 on the season. And Maryland, they now fall to 4 and 2 as well. And, you know, guys, that's really going to cover it for all of the noon games that we had, mostly the more notable games. So now let's talk about some of the late afternoon, early evening slate of games. And, man, were there some pretty good games to talk about. But the first game that I'm going to want to talk about is going to be the Deep South's oldest rivalry as we had the Auburn Tigers traveling at to uh, number two Georgia to take on the Georgia Bulldogs. And, you know, going into this game, the biggest thing for Auburn was going to be can the coaching be consistent and also can they get steady quarterback or yeah, steady quarterback play by Robbie Ashford. And then on the flip side for Georgia, you know, how are they going to respond to almost getting upset by Missouri last week who lost to Florida today? So, the, you know, it's kind of one of those things where can Georgia redeem themselves as they're now playing another pretty solid Auburn team despite a lot of early season struggles? You know, will they be able to bounce back from that pretty disappointing game last week in Missouri? And, you know, well, despite Georgia's offense in this game against Auburn not being necessarily the best when it came to the passing aspect, their run game was absolutely phenomenal. As on the day total, Georgia had about 300 yards rushing, and man, did they spread the ball when it came to running backs. As in total, they would have five different runners in this game with six total rushing touchdowns on the day as well, and they just ran all over this Auburn defense. And, you know, Stetson Bennett definitely did not have his best game at all when it came to throwing the football. But overall, he would finish the day 22 for 32, 208 yards passing with zero touchdowns and zero interceptions. And then on the flip side, um, Robbie Ashford, the former Oregon Ducks quarterback, now the starting quarterback for Auburn once their starter, TJ Finley. You know, a lot of early struggles. He would eventually get benched, and I think he's also dealing with some injury issues. And then Zach Calzada, the former Texas A&M quarterback who transferred to Auburn, he's also out with an injury. So in comes this redshirt sophomore quarterback who hasn't really had a lot of experience when it comes to playing time. You know, didn't did what didn't even arrive in Auburn. I think until about the summertime. So. You know, you definitely saw a lot of those struggles, especially last week against LSU. And then, you know, now he's going against arguably the best defense in all of college football. It definitely showed in this game. As on the day, Robbie Ashford would go 13 for 38, 165 yards passing with one touchdown and zero interceptions. The good thing is at least he didn't have a pick, despite there being numerous opportunities for Georgia to actually get an interception. 
But, you know, there's there was it was a lot more aspects to this than just a quarterback. The offensive line for Auburn played horrendously bad. You know, wide receivers could not get any type of separation. And overall, just a very rough day for the Tigers. And then, you know, on the flip side, too, for Auburn in their run game, they didn't even get a 100 total yards rushing today. Tank Bigsby, who was supposed to be the star running back for Auburn and one of the best running backs in the nation, you know, he hasn't really had his breakout game yet, despite us being halfway through the college football season. As on the day, Tank Bigsby, he would only have 10 carries for uh, 19 yards rushing and zero touchdowns, and that would be it for him. There was nothing else in this game for him. And, you know, honestly, outside of that, offensively, this was more of a ground-and-pound game in Georgia. They just absolutely dominated as they would go on to beat the Auburn Tigers in the uh, the in the South's oldest rivalry, 42 to 10 Georgia they improved a 5 and 0 on the season Auburn they fall to 3 and 2 and you know one thing I was kind of wondering at once the game finished is could this actually be Brian Harson's final game as a head coach of the Auburn Tigers because Auburn they're pretty much just trying to find any type of way possible they can to fire this man I mean it's sad because I mean I know there's a lot of off the field issues and allegations and everything like that but it almost seems like ever since he landed at Auburn They've been trying to find a way to get him to screw up so they can fire him, especially this season in which the athletic director before who got who resigned, quote-unquote, he was the one that hired Brian Harson. So this new AD probably wants to go out and go get a head coach of his own. So it's just a weird situation. And honestly, don't be shocked if we potentially see Brian Harson fi- you know, fired at least whether it's this week or a few weeks from now. So hopefully Auburn, they can finally start to get things going because, man, was that offense just – pitiful to watch because they couldn't even get it on the ground and they could not get it in the air so Georgia once again they go on to beat Auburn 42 to 10 as Georgia they are 5-0 and and Auburn they fall to 3-2 and now guys the next game we're going to be talking about we're going to travel out a little bit west as we have the 11th ranked Utah Utes taking on the uh, 18th ranked UCLA Bruins in the Rose Bowl and man did DTR really prove to the country that despite having a pretty weak schedule to open up this season, you know, almost losing to uh to South Alabama, you know, only, you know, their first four games this season were pretty weak. Their biggest win was probably against Colorado, which we've all seen how Colorado's season has gone. So, they had a lot to prove and last week on Friday night football, they went out and upset Washington, who at the time I think was still 11th ranked. So it was a huge win for them. DTR balled out, had a couple pretty cool, pretty cool highlight plays. And, you know, going into this game, it was going to have to be the same case. Could UCLA compete with some of the best teams in the Pac 12? And I've always been very high on Utah. I like their defense. You know, they've been overall a very solid team. So going into this game, I personally thought Utah should be able to, you know, beat this UCLA defensive well. The opposite kind of actually happened in this game is Utah starting quarterback Cameron Rising. You know, he struggled early on. Now, he would finish the day 23 for 32, 287 yards passing with zero touchdowns and one interception on the day. And then on the flip side for his counterpart, DTR, who, uh, in case you don't know his full name, is Darian Thompson or Dorian Thompson Robinson, my bad, which it's just easier to say DTR because no offense, you got to say that every two seconds. It's not that easy, but. Anyway, you know, DTR on the day, he would have a very solid game. As he go 18 for 23, 299 yards passing, only one yard short of 300, but he would have four touchdowns and then one interception, which came at the end of the game and yeah, came at the end of the game in the form of a pick six. But I think he just kind of got sloppy with it. But overall, he still did have you know that one pick. But overall, for DTR, an amazing game as he's really put on a great senior campaign this year and ultimately kind of also proves a question about why UCLA decided to stick with DTR you know versus Dylan Gabriel who was originally supposed to go to UCLA but ended up going to OU but anyway outside of that also UCLA they also were able to get it done in the ground as well as as Zach Charbonnet the former Michigan running back who came over to UCLA to have a better opportunity see a lot more playing time and overall just be able to truly develop a little bit more and honestly man has he made the right decision and he finally got his best career game in this game against Utah as he'd have 22 carries for 198 yards rushing with one touchdown and ultimately it would be the efforts of DTR and Zach that would lead UCLA to an upset win over the 11th Utah Utes by a score of 42 to 32 as UCLA they remain undefeated as they now improved to 5 and 0 and Utah they now fall to 4 and 1 on the season so Utah or not Oh my gosh, I lied. Sorry, guys. UCLA, they improved to 6-0. and In Utah, they fall 
to four and two. And you know, for Utah, honestly, they're not a bad team by any means. They're still a very solid team. I, I still like their defense, despite the fact that they pretty much got outrun against by UCLA. I think they are going to be a very solid team. They still have a chance to compete for the Pac-12 title. Obviously, the college football playoffs are completely out of you know completely gone. They're not going to be able to make the college football playoff. But you know, on the flip side, you know, with UCLA. I think they deserve a lot more credit, and definitely they'll probably move up into the top 15, hopefully, because, man, that offense is electric. Defense, you can definitely see they have some weak tendencies, but overall, I think that offense will really carry them the rest of the year, and it'll be interesting to see when they play, you know, Caleb Williams and USC, you know, when they play Oregon and, and a lot of these other schools, because, man, is it going to be some pretty good offensive games. But anyway, UCLA wins 42-32 to over the 11th-ranked Utah Utes. Now, guys, for the next game we have, we're going to travel out to Pittsburgh as we had Virginia Tech taking on the Pitt Panthers. And, you know, I don't really want to talk too much about this game. I mostly want to talk about the amazing rushing game that occurred as we had Israel Abanakanda. Sorry if I mispronounced his name, but he had an ACC record type of game today as on the day he would have 36 rushing attempts for 320 yards rushing and six rushing touchdowns on the day i mean what an insane stat line i think it tied the acc record for rushing uh, rushing touchdowns in a game and honestly he pretty much single-handedly led pittsburgh to this win as they would beat uh, virginia tech 45 to 29 but I, I figured i'd make sure to shout out israel as he had a record game today against the virginia tech Hokies. and you know talking about virginia tech Man, I mean, how much they have fallen. I mean, you know, they got blown out by West Virginia a couple weeks ago, you know, in a game that I don't think they should have gotten blown out by. I didn't expect them to beat West Virginia, but, I mean, they just have kind of fallen from literally, you know, being at least kind of getting past the whole rebuilding stage to now they're kind of back in the, you know, what do we do right now? Like, what are we supposed to be able to do to better this program? And, you know, obviously losing Old Dominion in week one did not help that case whatsoever. But definitely some troubling times right now in West Virginia. But anyway, Israel with a six-rushing touchdown uh, game today against the Virginia Tech Hokies. So shout-out to Israel for having an amazing game. But, you know, anyway, y'all, we got to get back to some of the, you know, other games we had going on on this beautiful Saturday. And, you know, the next game that I want to talk about is going to actually be a pretty interesting matchup as we had the Texas Tech Red Raiders traveling to Stillwater to take on the seventh-ranked Oklahoma State Cowboys. Now, you know, for um, Texas Tech, kind of their biggest issue this whole season has been who can consistently be their starting quarterback. You know, Tyler Shug, the former Oregon quarterback, he got injured in week one. Then they went to Donovan Smith, who had a pretty solid showing against Texas, but outside of that, the other few games of this season, he had dealt with a lot of turnover issues, and that's kind of what had depleted this Texas Tech offense from I mean, honestly, at least in my opinion, fully achieving what they're able to do and their potential. And um, but on the, and then on the flip side too, for Oklahoma State, they have one, arguably one of the more veteran quarterbacks in all of college football, and Spencer Sanders, who I feel like is already on his seventh year of college football. But you know, he obviously a veteran quarterback that obviously is going to definitely help them when it comes to winning big time games. And this was definitely a big time game because a lot of people felt this would be a trap game for Oklahoma State just due to the fact that. Texas Tech has such a great offense, and obviously I know they're still rebuilding first year under Joey McGuire, but overall definitely a winnable game for Texas Tech. And, you know, the way the game started, it definitely looked like Texas Tech could have potentially won this game. You know, they decided to, you know, instead of starting Donovan Smith, they decided to go with uh, Byron Morton, a redshirt freshman quarterback. And, you know, he started the game off amazingly. Now he did deal with a, I think it was like a leg injury, and it kind of really hampered his game. But to finish off the game, though, I mean, Byron was just, I mean, he stat line-wise, he was pretty solid on the day. As Morton would go 38 for 59, 372 yards passing with two touchdowns and one interception. And then his counterpart, Spencer Sanders, who statistically didn't have the greatest day, but definitely his impact helped the Cowboys a lot to this win. He'd go 22 for 45, 297 yards passing with one touchdown on the day. And then for Texas Tech, you know, offensively, for their wide receiver-wise, they had two 100-yard wide receivers, one of them coming in the form of Durand uh, Bradley and then the other one coming in the form of Trey Cleveland so they were able to spread the ball around a lot in the air raid kind of attack form did work but ultimately 
Oklahoma State would come out at the end over Texas Tech as Oklahoma State would go on to win 41-31 to as Oklahoma State. They now improve to 5-0 and on the season, and Texas Tech, they now fall to 3-3. and And my bad, Oklahoma State, they improve to uh, – no, it is five and zero. My bad. I was look. I was looking at different records, and I was kind of trying to figure out who was who, who was who, you know what I mean. Trying to, you know, pick it all together. But Oklahoma State, they will now move to five and zero, and Texas Tech, they will fall to three and three. But overall, this Texas Tech team has a bright future at the hands of um, of Byron Morton. I think he'll be a great quarterback for them long term. Definitely just need to kind of fix a few things defensively, but overall, pretty solid game by both teams. As as a TCU fan, I'm super excited to see Oklahoma State coming into Fort Worth next week to take on my Horn Frogs. But anyway, guys, the next game that we have and we're going to be talking about is going to be the ninth-ranked Ole Miss Rebels traveling up to Tennessee to take on the Vanderbilt uh, Commodores and. You know, to start out this game, especially going into halftime, it looked like Vandy could potentially pull out an upset over Ole Miss as they were able to contain Jackson Dart for the most part, Zach Evans, and the run game of Ole Miss. And, you know, Ole Miss's defense wasn't looking that looking that well either because Vanderbilt was kind of able to run all over him. But in the second half, Ole Miss finally started to do their thing as, as Vanderbilt would only put up eight points in the second half compared to Ole Miss's 35 um, biggest things I could take away is the fact that Vanderbilt, despite how the score looks, they put up a pretty competitive fight as going into halftime, Vanderbilt actually led 20 to 17. So it wasn't just one sided the whole entire game as on the day, Jackson Dart, the starting quarterback for Ole Miss, he would go 25 for 32, 448 yards passing with three touchdowns and two interceptions on the day. So overall, not a bad game, despite the few mistakes he did make early in the first half. And then on the flip side for Vanderbilt, their starting quarterback, A.J. Swan, he actually had a pretty good day himself, as on the day he would go 27 for 38, 281 yards passing with two touchdowns and no interceptions. So overall, not a bad game for him passing. And for Vanderbilt, a lot of their offense came in the form of running back Ray Davis, the senior, as he, as he would have 27 rushing attempts for 105 yards rushing and one TD. And, you know, outside of that, really, most of the offense in the first half, there just really wasn't any type of action for Vanderbilt in the second half. But Ole Miss made sure to take advantage of that as, as Ole Miss wide receiver Jonathan Mingo, he would have an amazing game as he would have nine receptions for 247 yards receiving and two touchdowns on the day. So absolute just amazing game by him and then Ole Miss for rushing wise the TCU transfer Zach Evans he would have a pretty solid day as well as he would have 11 carries for 80 yards rushing and then a spectacular touchdown run which would ultimately help the Ole Miss Rebels go on to beat Vanderbilt 52 to 28 as now Ole Miss they improved to 6-0 and and Vanderbilt they fall to 3-3 and which in terms for Vanderbilt is not a bad record by any means and then for Ole Miss you know, definitely got to start a little bit quicker. You can't allow a team, especially like Vanderbilt, to be able to put you in a position where you're potentially on upset watch. But anyway, Ole Miss would have a strong second half, and they would go on to beat Vanderbilt. So pretty entertaining game for the most part. I kind of quit watching after the second half or the first half because that was when Ole Miss really started to dominate. But overall, very solid win for the Rebels. And guys, the next game that we're going to be talking about is going to be the third-ranked Ohio State Buc Ohio State Buckeyes traveling to East Lansing to take on the Michigan State Spartans. And, well, Michigan State has completely fallen off just college football relevancy. Um, you know, the whole, you know, Tuck's coming thing. I don't think Tuck is coming because apparently this just Michigan State team, whether it's offensively or defensively, is just non-existent. As on the day for Michigan State, who they're known for their run game, and I've said it numerous times, you know, if they can run the football, they should be able to put up a pretty solid fight. They only had seven rushing yards on the day total. So, yeah, not a great game by any means for Michigan State offensively. Their starting quarterback, Peyton Thorne, he would only go 11 for 18, 113 yards passing with one touchdown and one interception. But he's Peyton Thorne's counterpart and, you know, Heisman I guess you could say probably the Heisman favorite right now, C.J. Stroud, the starting quarterback for Ohio State. He would go 21 for 26, 361 yards passing with six touchdowns and one interception, which came early on in the game. 
Um, Ohio State also was able to get it done on the ground as well as their running back sensation, Travion Henderson. He had himself a day as well as he had 19 rushing attempts for 118 yards rushing and one touchdown on the day. And funny enough, kind of the big surprise in this game didn't even come from C.J. Stroud or Travion Henderson. It came from the son of, of NFL Hall of Famer Marvin Harrison, his son, Marvin Harrison Jr. As on the day, Marvin Harrison Jr. would have seven receptions for 131 yards receiving and three touchdowns. He also had a spectacular one-handed catch in the end zone. Um, and also, too, I can't discredit Emeka Egbuka, who actually led Ohio State in receiving yards in this game, as he would have five receptions for 143 yards receiving and one touchdown to help lead the Ohio State Buckeyes to a 49-20 win over Michigan State. Now, Ohio State, they improved to 6-0 on the year, and Michigan State, they now fall to 2-4. and I mean, just, man, that Washington loss, I mean, that really exposed all the flaws in this team. The fact that, honestly, they're not a good running team this year. And, man, has it hurt them not having a guy like Kenneth Walker. And I just I hope they can be able to bounce back from it because, man, this season just definitely is not going to be theirs. But for Ohio State, you know, at least they showed that they can at least compete on the road against what should have been a pretty solid, you know, opponent. But nothing less, Ohio State gets the win as they remain unbeaten. And now I want to talk about the final game, or at least the final game that we're going to talk about in today's recap of the late afternoon, early evening slated games. And that's going to be the 21-ranked Washington Huskies traveling to Arizona to take on the Arizona State Sun Devils. And for Washington, you know, coming off a loss against a, obviously, now that we saw UCLA, you know, take down Utah, a very sol solid UCLA team. You know, hopefully a lot of, especially a lot of Husky fans were hoping they could bounce back offensively. Michael Penix Jr. didn't have his greatest game whatsoever against UCLA. Couple interceptions, but overall, it wasn't a horrific game, but they were hoping that offense could be able to get going. And then for Arizona State, they were just trying to find some type of way to be able to compete against a team like Washington, who obviously has been very solid offensively. Defensively, they have had some struggles, but overall, not a bad team by any means. And, well... This game definitely was interesting to say the least as the second to last play of the game would be just a bad snap that would end up going negative 30 yards for Washington. But, you know, I didn't really watch much of this game. I don't think, no offense, I don't think a lot of people really watched a ton of this game just due to the fact that me personally, I forgot that Washington was even ranked. But, you know, ultimately it really wouldn't matter anyway because uh, on the day, Michael Penix Jr., he didn't have a horrible game, but... Arizona State somehow kept him from having one touchdown pass on the day as Michael Penix would go 33 for 53, 311 yards passing with zero touchdowns and one interception on the day. And then for Arizona State, unfortunately, their starting quarterback, Emory Jones, after having a pretty strong start to the game, as he would go 7 for 9 with 59 yards passing, he would ultimately leave the game with an injury. So in came uh, their backup quarterback, um, Trenton Borgay. And, you know, he definitely definitely didn't have the greatest game. But also, but at the same time, though, he did put up when Arizona State needed him as he would go 15 for 21, 182 yards passing with three touchdowns and one interception on the day. And then for Arizona State, it, it was weird because an offense that had pretty much been lackluster throughout the whole year finally started to take shape as their running back, Xavier Valade. He also had a career day for himself as he'd go 23 for 111 yards rushing and one touchdown on the day as he would help this Arizona State Sun Devil offense to a 45-38 to upset win over the 21st-ranked Washington Huskies. So Washington, you know, after losing to UCLA last week, you know, dropping about 10 spots down to 21, they now are going to be out of the top 25 due to now the 2-4 and four Arizona State Sun Devils who already have been having a bad season, but... Now it just got a little bit better with an upset win over the Washington Huskies. So I'm glad for Arizona State that they were able to pull out of this one with a win and upset Washington. And then for Washington, um, you know, honestly, I think defensively they just they have a lot of struggles. They need to, you know, definitely need to fix because when you're letting Arizona State an offense that, to be honest, is not really that great, you're letting them just completely run all over you, throw all over you, whatever. It's not a good look. So Washington, they probably will now be out of the top 25. And Arizona State, they now improved to 2-4. and four. So for all you Sun Devil fans out there, at least you can say despite this season being a major disappointment, y'all were able to at least get an upset win this year. 
Now, anyway, guys, now that we've recapped all of the late afternoon, early evening slate of games, let's talk about the evening slate of games. And boy, do we have some interesting matchups. But the first game I want to talk about, and what would have been probably the upset of the year if they had actually won this game, was going to be the Texas A&M Aggies traveling to Tuscaloosa, Alabama to take on the number one ranked Alabama Crimson Tide. Now, the story for Alabama going into this game was, would Bryce Young be able to play? You know, I think he was dealing with that shoulder injury that he suffered. I think, what was it? Last week. You know, he suffered last week, and, you know, it's kind of iffy about if he would play, if he would not. Well, he, you know, ultimately they would decide to let him rest. You know, you don't want to rush him back. There's still a long season to go. So instead they go with Jalen Milrow, who showed a lot of great flashes against Arkansas. And obviously he's more of a mobile quarterback and is definitely able to run the football a lot better than he is able to throw it. And then on the flip side for A&M, you know, their starting quarterback also went down with the injury. Max Johnson, he was out with, a, I think, a concussion last week against Mississippi State. So now they're going back to the week one starter in Haynes King. So, honestly, I really didn't know how to feel too much. I thought Alabama probably was going to run away with this game. But that was the complete opposite of what happened in this game. Because Jalen Milrow, despite st st statistically not looking that bad when you watch this game... I mean, he just really was not able to get anything going in the passing game. It's on the day, Jalen Milrow, he would go 12 for 19, 111 yards passing with three touchdowns and then one interception on the day. And he also, excuse me, guys, and also he would have two fumbles in this game as well, which would be pr almost pretty dang costly. So he definitely had a few mistakes, but also this was his first real game actually starting and getting a lot of playing time. So it is understandable, but... The one bright spot for Jalen was the fact that he was able to get it going on the ground as on the day he would have 17 rushes for 83 yards rushing. So overall, not a horrifically bad game for him, but definitely if he's going to be the future of this Alabama team, there's still a lot of things he's got to work on in order to achieve that. But, you know, rushing wise, Jameer Gibbs, the Georgia Tech transfer, he had another amazing game as well as he had 21 carries for 150, 154 yards rushing. So you know, A&M's defense really couldn't stop him, but they could stop everybody else in this game. That A&M defense, they absolutely, you know, stood up when it mattered the most to that Alabama offense. And Haynes King, you know, who definitely had a rough start to the season, would get benched in favor of Max Johnson, the LSU transfer. Um, you know, once again, he did not play amazing by any means, but he also did not play bad. He did show signs of improvement. He was able to, you know, actually get rid of the ball, get out of the pocket. You know, he was starting to actually show, show some types of progression. And honestly, it was like probably a good sign for a lot of A&M fans that were really, um, that were really high on him. But anyway, Haynes King on the day, he would go 25 for 46, 253 yards passing with two touchdowns and one interception on the day. He also would deal with a lingering injury this entire game. So he never actually came out or anything like that. He toughened it out. So a lot of props to Haynes King for the resilience that he showed in this game as well. Um, and the biggest thing for A&M had to have been their five-star wide receiver, Evan Stewart, who kind of had a lot of struggles to open the season, but finally got his breakout game as he would have eight receptions for 106 yards receiving and made a just a numerous amount of amazing catches. So it was good seeing Evan Stewart finally get his foot in the right direction. Moose Muhammad also had a very solid day as well as he had 60 receiving yards with a touchdown. But ultimately, as A&M would lead down to the final drive of the game, and they would be on the two-yard line of Alabama. Ultimately, Haynes King would try to connect with Evan Stewart, but ultimately it would be incomplete, and Alabama would survive 24-20 as Alabama, they remain undefeated and improved to 6-0, and then A&M, they now fall to 3-3 on the season. Anyway, guys, the next game that we're going to talk about, we're going to go up a little bit north as we have the fifth-ranked Clemson Tigers taking on Boston College, who, who honestly preseason was supposed to have a ton of hype, obviously with Phil uh, Jerkovic, the former Notre Dame quarterback who during the COVID year kind of gained a lot of hype just due to the fact that he honestly was a very solid quarterback, started to kind of slowly uh, die down a little bit, you know, Zay Flowers and everybody else like that on Boston College, but ultimately, you know, they've had a rough start to the season, and then Clemson who has kind of started to get their foot back in the right direction, DJ Ugalele, he's starting to show a lot of glimpses from his freshman year, the offense is starting to click a lot more. And, you know, early in this game, that was a complete opposite. Is After the first quarter, Clemson had only put up three points. And even at halftime, they only were beating Boston College by a score of 10-3. to And things really didn't start getting 
I think, or my bad. And things didn't really start clicking until the fourth quarter as DJ Ugalele on the day passing-wise, he would go 18 for 31, 220 yards passing with three touchdowns and one interception. And then Boston College, man, their offense was just, ooh, it was just horrible. As Phil Jerkovich, who was supposed to be a NFL, you know, NFL type of quarterback, He'd go 19 for 40 on the day for 188 yards passing with zero touchdowns and zero interceptions. And ultimately, Clemson in the fourth quarter, finally, they started to gain some momentum as they would put up 14 points. And that would ultimately lead them to a 31-3 win over Boston College. As now Clemson, they improved to 6-0 and on the season. And now, guys, we're going to head back down south or we're going to head out west but south, you know, kind of kind of in that general area as we have the Washington State Cougars taking on the 6th ranked USC Trojans who are led by Caleb Williams and Lincoln Riley. And to start out this game, USC would lead the Cougars 10 to 0 after the first quarter, but Washington State would put up 14 points in the second quarter and so going into halftime USC was only beating Washington State by three points which would come because of a I think it was like under two minute touchdown by USC to put them up so it was a very close game and you know weirdly enough in the second half USC would actually close out Washington State as they would not even allow another point for the Cougars Washington or not Washington USC they would put up 13 points in the second half um, Caleb Williams, not his most dominant game at all. There were a few passes he missed, but overall he was able to get the job done as on the day he would go 15 for 29, 188 yards passing with two touchdowns and zero interceptions. And then on the flip side for Washington State, Cam Ward, their transfer quarterback from Incarnate Word, he had a, honestly, statistically it may not look the best, but when you watch this game, he showed so much athleticism, whether it was a move, maneuvering around in the pocket, getting out of the pocket, making throws on the run. He looked amazing in this game as he would go 19 for 32, 172 yards passing with two touchdowns and zero interceptions on the day. And then for Washington State, their main wor- their main workhorse in this game had to be their running back, Jalen Jenkins, as he would have 13 carries on the day for 130 yards rushing. And he also would lead them in receiving yards as he would have two receptions for 54 yards receiving. But ultimately, USC's offense would be what overpowered them over Washington State as Oregon transfer running back Travis Dye. He would have another monster day as he would have 28 carries for 149 yards rushing and one touchdown, which would lead the USC Trojans over the Washington State Cougars. Uh, 30 to 14 is now USC. They improved to six and zero, six straight wins in the Lincoln Riley era at Washington State. They fall to four and two, despite playing, in my opinion, a very strong game against a really good USC team. And the biggest thing for USC is the fact that you know they still have a very good offense, but man, if they play a good enough team, especially if they make the playoffs. I think USC will probably be you know, first-round type of team to get eliminated. And that's nothing against USC. I just think the fact that Washington State, who has nowhere near as much talent as USC, and they competed with them for as long as they did in this game, definitely is going to show some concern later on in the season when they do start playing a lot of pretty good teams. So, but anyway, USC, they do get the dub over Washington State. And then, guys, for our next game, we're going to travel back out east as we had the South Carolina Gamecocks taking on the Kentucky Wildcats, the 13th-ranked Kentucky Wildcats. And, you know, going into this game, the biggest thing for Kentucky was the fact that their starting quarterback, Will Levis, would not play in this game due to an injury that he suffered against Ole Miss. So that was a huge loss already. So they were going to have to rely a lot on the run game with Chris Rodriguez. And that's exactly what they did in this game as Chris Rodriguez on the day would have 22 carries for 126 yards rushing. Um, You know, the quarterback that would come in to replace Will Levis for this game would be freshman quarterback Kaya Sharon. And on the day, he didn't have a horrible game by any means. He would he would have 15 completions for 20 on seven, on 27 attempts for 178 yards passing with two touchdowns and one interception on the day. So overall, not bad for a freshman quarterback who's never really had a ton of experience. Wasn't obviously a good game, but you know not the worst. And you know on the flip side for South Carolina, how would Spencer Rattler be able to do? You know you know bounce back week that they obviously are going to need a win. And Spencer Rattler actually did pretty solid. As on the day, he'd go 14 for 19, 177 yards passing with one touchdown and one interception. But the bell cow of this offense that would really get the, give them the win in this game 
would have to be their sophomore running back, Marshawn Lloyd. As on the day, Marshawn, he would go 22 for 110 yards rushing and one touchdown. And South Carolina, they would make another upset here on Saturday as they would beat the Kentucky Wildcats 24-14. As South Carolina, they now improve to 4-2 and on the year. And Kentucky, they now fall to 4-2. and and then, guys, the next game that we have also is going to be the 16th-ranked BYU Cougars taking on Notre Dame at Reliant Stadium in Las Vegas. In case you don't know, that's a Las Vegas Raiders stadium. And, you know, Notre Dame, they're going to want to – they want—they really wanted to make a statement because, obviously, losing to Marshall, barely beating Cal, just a really disappointing start to the Marcus Freeman era, definitely got under their skin. And, you know, they wanted to be able to make a statement win and let the country know that, hey, we are still Notre Dame. We may we may be having an off season, but, we you know, we are still very comp- uh, competitive. And that's exactly what they did in this game is Drew, uh, Drew Pine, despite struggling early on in the year, he had a pretty solid game against BYU as he'd go 22 for 28 – 262 yards passing with three touchdowns and then one interception on the day but for Notre Dame the main thing was the fact that they were able to get it you know get it going on the ground as they would have two running backs with over 90 yards rushing one of them being Audric Estim and then the other being excuse me guys let me look it up real quick Logan Diggs so Amazing games with both of these guys as they would put up a combined 180-plus rushing yards. Just from those two, Chris Tyree would also put up an additional 40. And, you know, this Notre Dame offense was just, I mean, absolutely terrific. Michael Mayer, the All-American tight end for the Fighting Irish, he would have another amazing day as well as he would have 11 receptions for 118 yards receiving and two touchdowns. And he actually made Notre Dame history in this game. I think it was for, um, I think, uh, career touchdowns as a uh, Notre Dame tight end so congratulations to Michael for getting that but ultimately Notre Dame despite a little late comeback attempt by BYU they would hold on to beat the 16th ranked BYU Cougars 28 to 20 is now Notre Dame they improved to 3 and 2 and BYU they now fall to 4 and 2 and likely out of the top 25 now, guys, for this next game we're going to talk about, we're going to go back over to the East Coast as we have the Florida State Seminoles taking on the 14th-ranked NC State Wolfpack. And for NC State, you know, coming off a loss to Clemson last week in which they gave up a fight, and you know, which is kind of funny to think that Clemson, they struggle a lot in the first half, but in the second half they dominate. You know, they just did it to Boston College, and they did it to NC State last week. And, you know, NC State, they're, look, they're going to want to bounce back against a really good Florida State team who's already been in the top 25 this year. You know, Jordan Travis, who arguably is one of the better quarterbacks in college football. So there was a lot in this game that NC State wanted to be able to prove. And, you know, Florida State, for the most part, you know, they really gave it to NC State, especially in the second quarter when Florida State would put up 17 points. And then at halftime, they would lead NC State 17-3. to Now, Jordan Travis did not have his best game passing-wise as he would go 15 for 30, 181 yards passing with one touchdown and two interceptions on the day. But he would make most of his money in the run game as he would be the leading rusher for the Seminoles as he would have seven carries for 108 yards rushing. And then on the flip side for the NC State Wolfpack, their starting quarterback, who's, I mean, in my opinion, is one of the more underrated quarterbacks, Devin Leary. He wouldn't have an amazing game by any means as he would go 10 for 22, 130 yards passing with one touchdown and one interception on the day. And, you know, it really was an offensive just struggle for NC State to get anything going for the most part. I mean, really, their defense had to pick up a lot of their slack, and that's exactly what they would do as NC State would barely survive against Florida State towards the last couple minutes of the game, and they would go on to beat the Seminoles 19-17 to as NC State, they now improve to 5-1 and on the season, and Florida State, they now fall to 4-2. and and guys, for this next game, we're actually going to stay up north, so we won't have to keep going from West Coast, East Coast, East Coast, West Coast. We're actually going to stay in the East Coast as we had the Iowa Hawkeyes taking on the Illinois Fighting Illini, who are actually kind of having one of the more underrated seasons so far in college football. As going into this game, they were 4-1 and one and were looking to be able to make kind of statement win over the Iowa Hawkeyes, a team who they had not beaten since 2008. So going into this game, we already knew Iowa if they're going to be able to beat Illinois by any means, it's going to be by defense. It would not be the offense. We know Spencer Petras, one of the worst quarterbacks probably in college football history, um, you know, and he kind of continued to, you know, provide for that case. In this game, Iowa quarterback Spencer Petras, he would go 18 for 36, 
170 yards passing with zero touchdowns and one interception on the day. So overall, not a great game by any means for him. And then for Illinois, their starting quarterback, uh, Tommy DeVito, he would actually come out of the game with an injury. So in in that would come would be Arter Sitkowski, who a former Rutger quarterback, as he would go and on the day he would go 13 for 19, 74 yards passing with zero touchdowns and one interception on the game. And you know if you did like offense, this was not the game for you to watch by any means because there would only be a total of 17 points scored in this game, and none of them would be a touchdown. It would be only field goals. So. If you like Thursday night football between the Broncos and Colts, this was the game for you. But luckily for Illinois, they would put up the lone points in the fourth quarter with a field goal as they would go on to beat the Iowa Hawkeyes by a score of 9-6. So once again, Iowa continues to struggle heavily on offense despite their defense being pretty good. And then for Illinois, despite a pretty poor um, offensive performance, mostly due to the fact, too, that they lost their starting quarterback, they were able to escape with a win over Iowa 9-6. And now, guys, we have the final game of Week 6 of this 2022 college football season, and that was the 12th-ranked Oregon Ducks traveling to Arizona to take on the Arizona Wildcats. And, well, Bo Nix did Bo Nix things in this game as he absolutely threw all over this Arizona Wildcat defense. So you don't, I don't really need to talk too much in depth about it as Oregon would absolutely blow out Arizona in this game and they would now improve to five and one on the season and Arizona they now fall to three and three so anyway guys I hope y'all enjoyed today's recap of all of the week six action from this beautiful 2022 college football season you know let me know down below in the comments or wherever on Instagram TikTok you know what was y'all's personal favorite game from week six and what game are you actually looking forward to to week seven of college football coming up here next weekend? That that uh, preview episode will come out on Wednesday at 6 p.m. Central Time. And, guys, thank you again for listening to today's recap. It means the world to me. And, guys, I seriously can't wait to continue to be able to do this every single week for y'all. So I hope y'all guys have a great rest of y'all's weekend. Make sure to also go check out the NFL Week 5 recap that will come out on um, – I'm trying to think – on Tuesday. My bad. I – brain farted that'll come out on tuesday at 12 p.m central time so anyway guys y'all have a great rest of y'all's weekend and i will see y'all then peace